Good morning. I feel like I need to give you some geo, like geographical uh, distinction of where I'm from. So where I'm from, we would be like, morning, y'all. Uh, so you're going to detect a southern drawl. Uh, I am from the state of Mississippi. Is there someone from Mississippi here? That, wherever you are, whoever you are, we need to link up. That is, if that is the case, God is just showing off at this point. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, to kind of start off giving you some geographical uh, information because I get asked a lot now that when people find out that we're church planning in Iceland and, and they look at me and like, are you Icelandic? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, it would be cool if I was Icelandic. I'm, I'm trying to look the part, but uh, that is not the case. And so for the time that we have today, uh, when, when I got to meet Alan for the first time and share with him the story uh, and, and just spending time with Nick, as he was saying, in Iceland, I'm so gr- grateful for the opportunity to come and share with you all, or I should say y'all, I'm not going to hide my southern accent, to share with y'all about how it is a guy from Mississippi ends up uh, thinking about going to some rock in the North Atlantic where Vikings used to live uh, to see the gospel take root and to see churches uh, planted and uh, the gospel proclaimed. And so uh, kind of the title of my message is Why Iceland? Because as you can imagine, I get asked that question quite often. Uh, Why Iceland? You know, it's just a random country. Most people don't ever think about it. And so to begin that story, I kind of need to tell you more about me and how I came to ask myself that question. So I was born and raised in Mississippi, Uh, lived there for probably 30, maybe 29-ish years out of my 32 years of life. Uh, The only times I have not lived in Mississippi, I've lived in Louisiana uh, for two months, I lived in Texas for four months, and I lived in Iraq for about 10 months. So I was a soldier in the Army for 12 years active duty, uh, and so that's, that's a part of it. But the rest of the time in good old Mississippi, almost in the same county, a little county called Kapaya County, my town, Wesson, uh, had no street lights. Uh, that's fun. When Dollar General came in 2002, we thought we hit it big because now we didn't have to drive 10 miles to go get milk and groceries. Um, and so... I grew up, as many people do in the Bible Belt, as a nominal Christian. I didn't know what that meant at the time. Uh, uh, Some people would call it cultural Christian, didn't know what that meant. I would have said I was like every other Christian you would meet. We had a special designation for uh, a different type of Christian, uh, which now I call an authentic Christian, a true Christian, and we called them super Christians. And I was like, those are the ones who just have gone a little too far. Uh, And so I was very, I grew up in the shadow of my grandfather who was a Baptist pastor named Martin Luther Douglas. So if you name your kid Martin Luther, he might be a Baptist pastor or a Protestant pastor. Um, And so we kind of grew up in the shadow of him. But uh, in 1990, when I was four, he passed away uh, mowing the grass of a morbidly obese church member who couldn't mow his own grass. That was the kind of guy he was. He was taking care of his flock and had a heart attack. Uh, Then about 15 months later, my father died of terminal cancer. Uh, And so very early on, I was acquainted with grief and sorrow and, and hurt. And 
that kind of, at age five, started my journey on hating God. I never had the, what I call the convenience of being an atheist. I actually never had a moment where I didn't believe God existed. That just meant that I hated him because of all of the hurt that had happened in my life. From the time I was five, when my father passed away, till about the time I was in the fourth or fifth grade, I was physically and verbally and emotionally abused by my mom. Uh, this was a pretty frequent occurrence, um, and to the point to where in third grade, I remember vividly getting called out of class because child services were there to take pictures of uh, my legs and my back because someone had reported that I couldn't sit down or I was wincing when I was sitting down. And so I was threatened with child, uh, being put in uh, child protective services custody in a foster situation. And so very angry at God, very not happy at the fact that other people seemed to have better situations than I did. And for some reason, my prayers weren't pleasing enough to him or he didn't see it necessary to listen to me. And so I was a very angry kid. I, I hated people. I hated going to school because I was bullied. I was the most overweight kid in my grade. And so bullied there, bullied at home. I think the earliest I thought about suicide was uh, by age 10. Thought, uh, had a plan by age 12 to do it. And just miserable. Uh, I was a kid. Later in life, I would be a recruiter in the military for my home county and was talking one day with my guidance counselor, who had been my guidance counselor when I was younger, and just was asking, like, what, what was it like with me in school? And, and as, as much candor as she could have and as, as sober as she could say it, she was like, Logan, we were afraid you were going to shoot up the school. Like, we were really scared of you. You were very angry, uh, and you were very smart, and you were so antisocial, and you were so, like, and we knew your home situation, and most of us who know situations like that, it's like, that's what breeds someone who hurts someone else. And that's the kind of kid I was. Until about the age 17, I started losing weight, uh, kids get a little kinder, and so I kind of became indifferent to God. I shifted from hating God to, okay, I'm going to try and be happy and manufacture it in of myself. And, like, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And so I started, like, becoming the class clown. I literally set out to study how to make people laugh at about age 17. And started listening to comedians and started watching, like, understanding the concept of comedy. And it was really, a we I was a weird kid. Like, I was a really weird kid. <laughs> Used to read the dictionary. <laughs> don't, if any kid does that, take them, give them a ball and send them outside and say, don't come back in. Um, and, yeah, I just became indifferent to God. I thought I could make myself happy by making other people happy. Well, this led into my 20s. Uh, well, my late teens, I, I got emancipated when I was 17, lived on my own my senior year, went to a two-year college, uh, worked full-time, uh, 50 hours a week while I was at two-year college, and then kind of had enough of that and was like, okay, I need to do something else. I love school, but this working and doing school was a lot. So I had two options, go to clown college. I'm really serious. There's a thing, and I almost did it. <laughs> or join the military. There was, this, uh, there was this idea that my grandfather was a World War II vet in the Army. Uh, my father was a Marine uh, Vietnam vet. And so there was this, like, you know, they died when I was four and five. There's kind of this, like, connection that I, that's not there. And I was like, maybe I'll do that. Plus, a buddy of mine was a recruiter, and he just struck while the iron was hot. And I was like, all right, I'll join the military. Solely to pay for college. 
uh, I liked it, which was really weird, and I was really good at it. And so that shifted my life to doing military. And so, yeah, 2006, I joined the military, and I did that for 12 years, and that led to all kind of carnality, like the life of a military guy. Uh, not just that, uh, I've always kind of had side jobs. Here's a list of my side jobs. I was a president of a motorcycle club. I was a bouncer. I was a piercer. At one time, I was training to be a cage fighter. Uh, I also was a JV coach for an academic team. I don't know how that works. It's a very trusting friend of mine who's like, yeah, I'll let this tattooed soldier heathen teach these kids about quizzes, like a scholar's bowl and stuff. Uh, anyway... I just, but I lived for myself. I lived in the flesh. I was very carnal. I was chasing after everything. Uh, I started getting tattoos. I started lifting weights, had a motorcycle, had a Jeep, had a Titan. Like I was just doing what all soldiers do. It's like trying to just accumulate these things. And as I advanced in rank, I was like trying to build my little kingdom on happiness. And it just didn't work. And so uh, my deployment to Iraq was terrible. Uh, the chaplain was being contacted by people. It was like, Douglas is getting larger and he's getting more angry because what they didn't know is I was engaged at the time and she was cheating on me. I knew that. And so uh, I started building this, this relationship with the preacher man. That's what I called him, the preacher man. And he started like coming to me and going like, are you okay? It's like, are you worried I'm going to hurt someone? He's like, I'm not. Other people are. Um, <laughs> and so, and I'm telling you that because he plays a, a neat, neat aspect of my story later on. Uh, and so come back from Iraq, I ended up getting married very quickly to a, to a single mother who couldn't take care of her, her child. The father wasn't in the picture and that was a terrible idea. It's like best of intentions, terrible idea. And all the time, here's what's important about this. This is one of the driving points. I thought I was a Christian because at age 12, I had, I had said a prayer, and I had responded and walked an aisle, and I had been baptized, and so I thought I was a Christian. It was on my dog tags. Um, I had like five Bibles. Couldn't tell you what was in them, but I had them. Uh, I would go to church three, four times a year, maybe, mostly only if people invited me. Um, but yeah, I thought I was a Christian. And so then in 2013, I, I'm confronted with my wife, who is this girl that I just met who actually was a super Christian. Um, and was like, I went back to my lesbian roommates because I was living with lesbians. Like all of my friend group at this time was, uh, were members of LGBTQ community. They're like, oh, what's, what's going to happen with her? And I was like, nothing. Like she's a super Christian. And they were like, oh, no. It's like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's so unfortunate. What a waste. Uh, and so I just kind of gave up on the concept of anything happening with her, but it's like over a summer, we hung out, I think, two or three times, and I was just really challenged by the fact that she loved God in a way that I did not understand. Most people who I knew that loved God like her were um, social rejects or people who had been married with kids and needed a way to guilt their children into acting right. That was the categories I had for people of our age group in church educated, independent, lived on her own. She grew up on the mission field. Her parents have been missionaries in Italy for 32 years, are still there. And so she grew up uh, on the mission field. Her parents met in seminary. I was way intimidated by this. I was like, this girl is like, I don't understand. But it convicted me of what I, like the, the inauthenticness or the, the inaccurateness of me saying I was a Christ follower. 
And so over the summer, I was, God was working on my heart. I was convicted by my lack of faith, my lack of genuine love for God and for others. I was living my life for me, and by God's grace, I repented and, uh, and believed the gospel for the first time and then spent two weeks as a normal Christian. That's what I like to say. God gave me two weeks to just kind of fill it out, and then I discerned a call to ministry. Uh, I didn't know what that was called at the time. I call it a panic attack. Um, so I call the only Christian leader I know, I call my chaplain from Iraq, and it's like, hey, this is happening. I need someone to talk to about this. And for a couple of weeks, he walked me uh, through just my testimony, and he affirmed, and eventually he was like, you need to go to seminary. He wrote my pastoral um, letter of recommendation, and he told me to get plugged into the church that my wife Carla went to. And so fast forward, my, my Christian life went something like this. Year one, I'm in seminary, I start preaching, uh, go on a few mission trips. Year two, I start doing inner city ministry, I'm preaching more. Year three, I'm a student minister. Year four, I'm a young adult pastor. Year five, I'm a young adult pastor. That's how that happened. It was crazy. Um, and in my, my transition from student ministry to young adult ministry was because in 2014, I wanted to go to Iceland and plant a church randomly. It was one of those things where I had a church planning class I had to do, and they were like, you need to pick an unreached, unengaged people group to plant a church. I had been fascinated with Iceland since I was like 12 years old. I hate the heat. Mississippi's hot. I want to go somewhere it's not hot. Iceland is quite mythical. They have black sand beaches, and they have volcanoes, and they have glaciers, and they have Vikings, and could be a bad thing, could be a good thing. Depends on how you look at Vikings. Um... <laughs> And I was like, that place sounds awesome. I want to go there. So I Google it, and Iceland's like 80% Christian, which is good, but not if you want to go to an unreached, unengaged people group. It's less than 2% Christian is what meets that metric. So I kind of gave up on it. But I always would be asked, you know, what do you want to do in ministry? And my common answer, like I said this multiple times between 2014 and 2016, was I... If I was having coffee with God and God said, Logan, what do you want to do? I'll bless it. Whatever you want to do, I'll bless it. My answer was, I want to be a bearded, crossfitting, blacksmithing pastor in Iceland. It's like everything that embodies what I, what I desire to do. You got to think, I'd been in the military at this point for like 10 years. I had shaved every day for almost 10 years. I wanted a beard. I just wanted a big glorious beard. Uh, I liked CrossFit at the time. CrossFit's big in Iceland, and there's just something cool about blacksmithing. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, if I'm just gonna, like, just, God's like anything, I'm like, all right, well, here it all is. Uh, and that would always get laughs. But in 2016, I read an article, and I'm gonna show you this article in a minute. I read an article about uh, the, this survey that was done in 2016 by an atheistic society to show just how secular Iceland actually is. The atheists were trying to show that the statistics were not actually accurate. And, yeah, it, it broke my heart when I read this. And so the rest of our time together, I want to show you this presentation about Iceland. So I just want to kind of show you this picture of Iceland. It's, it's in red. It's this little rock in the North Atlantic. And this place has only 350,000 people in it. It's a Nordic country. Most Nordic countries have in the millions. 
Iceland, 350,000. And they have their own language. So you have a country of 350,000 that speaks its own language, and it's super complicated. So pray for us in that. We have to try to learn that language. But there's another picture that I want you to see that kind of shows you in relation to um, like North Carolina, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, how big Iceland actually is. Like this is the size of, it's like the, roughly the area of the state of Kentucky. So imagine you have the state of Kentucky, but you only have 350,000 people in it. So not a fraction of the people who would be in Louisville. This is that country. And most of them, if you see Reykjavik down there in the bottom left-hand corner, one-third of the country lives in that one city, and then another third lives in the surrounding area of the city. So right in or around that area is where two-thirds of the country lives. And so there's a strategicness in, in doing that. But again, I want us to just think about what broke my heart about Iceland. And so why am I burdened for the lost and broken in Iceland? And before I do that, I want to share with you this scripture that uh, really was the inspiration for why we're naming our church uh, Redeemer City Church of Reykjavik. And it's from Titus 2, and the verses are 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us for all from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so there's this, this is the gospel. This is a gospel that, that God has appeared in Christ to all people so that he can redeem them from the godless pursuits, the fleshly pursuits that they are trapped in, that they're burdened in, that, that this way of them being unable to escape the, the futility of, of their lives lived for their glory and their purposes, and instead he has brought them salvation, freedom from their sins, releasing them from the bondage of sin and redeeming their lives, giving it purpose, the ultimate purpose it was always meant to have, which is for his glory. And this is what we want to see in Iceland. So the next thing that you're going to see is the Iceland magazine article I saw. So this time, think I've been a lay leader of a 20s ministry. I'm doing young adult, or I'm doing student ministry. My friend group is young adults, so people in their their late teens, early mid 20s. And this, I see this: 0.0% of Icelanders 25 years or younger believe God created the world. And my brain blew up. I was like, this country says they're 80% Christian. How is it that less than zero, like none, zero people under the age of 25 who were polled said they believe God created the universe? This did something in my brain. It just didn't compute. And so I started searching the internet. After I sent my then girlfriend, now wife, a picture of uh, Iceland, uh, this, this article, and it's like, Iceland's a thing. And I think her response was, good luck with that. <laughs> She was not on board for a long time. I like to make that clear. Uh, I really was really, I mean, it was one of those things to where it's like, if I pursue Iceland, I'm probably not going to have Carla. Um, I don't know what to do with this. Like, it was, uh, it was hard enough to get her. 
Uh, and so, but yeah, I was, I was super excited. I read this, took a picture, and then I found on the internet this, uh, this documentary that I want to show you a, a glimpse of kind of what's going on in Iceland. How is it that so many people say that they're Christian, but they're not? And I'm going to show, share with you some statistics that's in our perspectives, but I just want you to hear these firsthand accounts from Icelanders about how this discrepancy or what is it like? You, are you Christian or are you not? And so please um, watch this video. yourself to be a Christian? No, I don't. Are you registered in the state church? No, I'm not. I signed out right after the confirmation. Uh, right after you got the presents? Yeah. Consider yourselves to be Christians? Uh, no, yes. Yes. You no. registered to the state church? Yes. yes, but I'm gonna unregister. Yeah, me too. Because I don't want to pay money to the church. Are you registered in the state church? Yes. yes. Okay, but you're not Christian? Yes. No. I, I'm I'm Christian, but, but not the... Are you Christian? Yes, yes. I'm Christian, <laughs> but I'm not exactly like, you know, Christian, Christian, Christian. No, I would not consider myself to be a Christian. Um, you, are you registered in the state church? Yes, yes, in fact I am. Do you think there are a lot of people like you, like kind of not Christian but registered? Yeah, pretty much, because you know, it's like, it's you know, when you're born, it's like automatically happens, you know, for Icelanders. I'm basically against uh, all religion. I think religion is the cause of uh, war in the world. I think if there was no religion, um, there wouldn't be any wars. People could like um, be more connected without uh, violence and religious uh, dispute. And that's what I think of religion. I'm not Christian, Christian, Christian. That's what I would have called a super Christian. And so you get this idea. So I, I, I want to I just tell you a little bit about the situation in Iceland. So there is a Lutheran state church in Iceland. It's one of the seven uh, remaining national Lutheran churches, most of them in the Nordic countries like Finland, Denmark, um, Sweden, uh, and there's another one. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I'm focused on Iceland. Don't tell anyone from the Nordic countries. I can't think of the five. But uh, there's this, there's this government-funded church. That there is no separation from church and state. The National Lutheran Church in Iceland is funded by the government. So you heard some of them talk about this that they want to unregister for the church because they're tired of giving them money. They tax you. And your money either goes to the church of your designation or it goes to the University of Iceland. But it gets taxed. It's just where does it go? And you heard one of them say that uh, you get confirmed or added just because of where your parents are. And that's what happens. If you're born in Iceland as an Icelander and both of your parents are registered with the state church, congratulations, you're now registered with the state church. And you heard the first guy talk about this confirmation and he stayed uh, he stayed in the church until confirmation because they have this big celebration that, I mean, you get hundreds of dollars worth of cool presents as a young uh, preteen or teenager. And so there's an incentive 
to stay until that point to where you hear so many of them say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but I probably need to, like, I mean, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe it, but I'm registered with the church. I should probably not do that anymore because I'm tired of my money going there. So here's the problem that is faced in Iceland. Almost everyone is registered with the state church. Almost everyone has a confirmation document stating that they are a Christian in the Icelandic church. And almost everyone tithes. They pay taxes to the church. So you're left to think, much like I was left to think, that I'm a Christian because of, well, I, I do some religious stuff. And that's the situation that is in Iceland to where at the time, over 80% of the people in Iceland said they were Christian, but church attendance is below 10%. Uh, the church size, uh, this room, all of you left to right, would be probably the second largest attended church in all of Iceland. Like the, the largest attended church is a church called Philadelphia, it's a non-Lutheran church. It's an evangelical church. It's an Assemblies of God church. And in their five services, they, they total about 250 people. The next largest is 50 people. That's actually like healthy churches in Iceland average between 20 to 40 people. Uh, and there's only nine, by our counts, that are actually active non-Lutheran churches in the whole country. There's only... Two Baptist churches, and there's seven Assemblies of God churches with two other gatherings that want to be churches, but they just don't have leaders. That's the state of the church in Iceland. Not only that, Icelandic belief is really weird. Uh, they, you know, you think of Norse religion, you think of uh, Thor and Odin and things like that. Well, they believe also in elves. So there's articles that state that the elusive hidden people of Iceland, they literally, more people, I believe, believe in elves than believe in Jesus in Iceland. I wish I was playing. There's a, a mythical nature that's still alive in the country to where they kind of are like, oh yeah, elves, trolls, we believe in that. And they're sincere. Even though they've never seen them, they're like, oh yeah, they exist. We just, we can't see them, but they're there. Not only that, paganism, like true paganism, so uh, temples built to Thor and Odin is on the rise. So this is, this is what they're, they're believing. They're giving uh, th themselves over to this, this false religion or the religion of their ancestors uh, instead of Christianity. Not only that, they're, they're touted as, or uh, I think touted's a word, they're, they're said to be one of the happiest countries in the world, yet... One-third of the university students are depressed. They're number one in consumption of antidepressants. Girls who struggle with antidepressant use has been on the rise. Men who uh, struggle with suicidal ideations or commit suicide is higher uh, than it really almost has ever been. Morphine addiction is growing among young kids, as is pornography consumption among young kids. This doesn't seem like a happy group of people. There's something about Icelanders that they pretend to be happy. They're, they're very stoic, they're very strong, they're very prideful, they're very nationalistic. And there's something even to be said about that, that deal with them being Christian is in the year 1000, uh, there was this 
this division in the country between the Christians and the pagans and the chief of the country went and just went in a tent and he was going to come out the next day and decide what they were going to be. And he did. And he said, we're Christian. And everybody's like, cool. And so for a thousand, 19 years, the country has been Christian. So when you ask an Icelander if they're Christian and they go, yes. And you say, why? Because I'm an Icelander. There's no difference Icelanders are Christian. Christians are Icelanders. Like, well, it doesn't really work that other way. But Icelanders are all Christian. Like, well, we're all Christian. Because why? Because our, our country's Christian. Because our, our government runs a church. And so one of the things that breaks my heart is this idea that they're searching for joy. And what we see in John 15, especially in verse 11, is that Jesus has come to say that he is the only source of life. He's the only source for the the vine giving nutrients to the branches and and he's telling them about obedience telling them about prayer telling them about fruitfulness but i love in verse 11 he says these things i have spoken to you that my my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full it seems like the icelanders don't have a lot of joy that alcoholism is very high in iceland it's not nearly as bad as it used to be but um, from people who I know who've ministered in the country, who've lived in the country, they just really describe them as just being almost zombie-like. Like they just get up and exist. They're, they're relationally cold. They're very uh, reserved. If they're struggling with things, they don't want to tell anyone because they're worried about what people will think. And So there's just not any freedom. And when it comes to the church, what we don't see in Iceland, is what we see in Acts 2, which here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see the the first century church. We see the church post-Pentecost, and this is what the Word of God says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We don't see this in Iceland. Now, one aspect of the story I didn't tell you about was really how I came to be burdened with this. And it was because I was a young adult pastor who was connected with an Icelandic church uh, called Lofstefan. So this is... uh, I'm wearing their shirt, I'm representing. And they have an Icelandic pastor named Gunnar. And through this crazy chain of events, I came to know and meet Gunnar. And, and my wife and I went over there and we saw their church. And just, uh, there's so much discouragement among them because Iceland's a really spiritually dark country. People struggle with things that, um, there's not really community there's not really the, the openness and the receptiveness to brokenness and to vulnerability and to sin. There's not a discipleship culture. There's not a church planting culture. There's not an evangelistic culture. Churches really are insulated and they're just very inward focused trying to stay alive. They're trying to survive. And even in their, their trying to survive, they still, it's, it's rare to see even in the churches that are there to see people loving and worshiping and serving like this. And so that's why we want to plant Redeemer City Church of Reykjavik. 
The next couple of slides are mainly uh, slides about our perspectives, and we'll have some of those in the back uh, after the service, and we want you guys to come and pick those up to learn more about it. But I'll just go through kind of some of the pages. We've got the Icelandic National Anthem, which is pretty much a psalm, which shows you they kind of have this ghost of Christianity, but it's just, it's not substantive in their lives. We have the statistics about the population claiming to be atheists. They have over 10%, which makes them one of the top 10 atheistic countries in the entire world. And church attendance among those who say they're Christian is less than 10%. Just think about that. Out of the 80% of the country that says they're Christian, less than 10% of those actually go to church. As you saw on the video, it's easy to understand that most people just say they're Christian. Our church is going to be primarily focused on being an English-speaking church because there's a growing immigrant population. There's a lot of Polish-speaking, Polish-born people, Lithuanians, Filipinos, and they're kind of treated as second-class citizens. And they all really are in this one area that's the low-income area of Reykjavik where we want to plant an English-speaking international church. And also, we want to focus on college students and young adults, because this is the, the age group that is most atheistic, and as you saw in that statistic, the age group that is um, least likely to think that God created anything. We have our mission, vision, values that we would love for you to, to read, but um, it's just really love God, love others, make disciples, and live sent. Like, that's it. It's a great, it's, it's what we see in Matthew 22 and Matthew 28, the great commission and the great commandment. We just want to be about what God's about. That's what we want to see. We want to see a church and churches that love God, love others, that are about making disciples and about planting churches and being missional, being evangelistic. And so we have a basic strategy similar to any church plant. We're, we're going to be a part of what's called the Iceland Project, which is this initiative to see multiple churches planted in Iceland. So churches like Grace Hill that's invested in supporting us is actually hopefully going to be supporting not just our church plant, but multiple church plants in the future. We want to see Icelandic-speaking churches go into these remote areas where there's not a lot of people to where there's no visible gospel presence because we believe that is what God has called us to do is to go and make disciples, and disciples go and make churches. And in the prospectus, you can see ways you can partner with us. You can pray with us. You can partner with us through uh, really just financially giving uh, individually. We're still a little bit short of our goal um, in, in uh, being funded for 2019, but... Uh, it's not going to stop us from going to Iceland. My wife and I will be moving in six weeks to go to Iceland. So be praying for that, please. And just promote. You can share with people about Iceland. Tell people to go to the icelandproject.org to get more information. Uh, and then you can connect with us on social media. Uh, we, we've got social media accounts. I will say they're not super active right now because I'm not in the country. and I'm trying to get to the country. So once I get in the country, I'll be tweeting and Instagramming and all that stuff. But for right now, I'm just trying to pack up my, my library, which is a task in of itself. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to end on Matthew 9. And the reason I want to end on Matthew 9 is this is really like the heart, I think, of how all Christians, not just you here today, but I, I pray that we would catch this, that we all 
or to emulate this kind of heartbeat, this kind of Christ-like mentality and Christ-like posture and Christ-like prayer life. And so Jesus says in Matthew 9, 12 through 13, but when he heard, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And then later in verses 37 through 38, he, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly, to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers to his harvest. And so my, my last thing to do is, I just really hope that each of you realize that most all missionaries and people who support missionaries, at one time or another, we're sitting where you're sitting. We're not super Christians. We're not Christian, Christian, Christian. Like we're just Christians. Um, I'm a lot less impressive than most people would ever give me credit. I'm just someone who is really burdened by the lost and knowing that there was so many people in Iceland who do not know Christ. And there's so few churches that preach the true gospel and so few churches that actually show a redeemed group of people who are committed to one another and living to make Christ known. And I, I, it, I just said yes. And I didn't know all the things. We still don't know where we're going to live when we get to Iceland. That's kind of terrifying. But, I mean, God has provided, and I assure you that if you're sitting here today and you've ever thought about missions, I just want to press into that and say, th think, pray, pray, think, just wrestle with the idea that God is calling people to go to other nations to make disciples. And Grace Hill gets to be a part of that in just the way you give and the way you allow people like myself to come here and to share. Uh, but also, maybe you're called to to give or to pray specifically or to go. And as I'm praying, I, I just pray that that would resonate because, I mean, two years ago, I would not have thought I was here. I was well into a military career, uh, really enjoying my life in Mississippi, apart from the heat. And I just could not shake the idea that God was saying, there are lost people in this world, and I want you to pray for those to be sent out, and I want you to consider if one of those people is you. Because he, he's worthy. Jesus is worthy of our lives lived in ultimate surrender and sacrifice to him. And this gospel has got to get out. It must get out. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your kindness and grace towards us. God, we thank you for the opportunities we have to go for you, the opportunities we have to make your name known, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us the power and the boldness and the clarity to do what we cannot do in ourselves. And God, I pray for the world. I pray for those who are working in areas of persecution. I pray for people who are laboring to bring the gospel to those who are far from you. I pray that you would just graciously urge us to respond in faith, not just one time to the gospel. Although, if there are some here today who have not ever responded to the gospel, I pray they would. I pray they would see the free gift of salvation in Christ and Christ alone through his ultimate sacrifice and finished work on the cross, that we cannot get to God except through him. I pray that many would respond to that, maybe here today, but 
I pray that we would respond to that daily, even as Christians, that we know that this gospel must be proclaimed in all the nations. And I'm thankful for Grace Hill. I'm thankful for each of these brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray continued blessings and and fruitfulness in ministry as they love you, God, and love others. I pray for the country of Iceland that many would come to salvation through the work you're doing, through churches that are already there. And we pray more churches to come. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.